0: 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Welcome to the RX Radio podcast, where we talk about everything pharmacy. I am your host, Doctor Scott Weaver, and I just want to say I'm extremely excited to be here. Uh, this is my first episode, and I am just so humbled and excited to be able to provide as much value as I can to you guys, and hopefully, in doing so, I can give you as much information as possible that is very valuable to you in your career and the you know the future of the profession of pharmacy. And I'm just here to put yourself in uh, the best position for success. And you can find me on Instagram at rphscott. You can find me on Facebook at Scott Weaver. Feel free to send me a friend request. And I am on Twitter at Doctor Scott W. For my first episode, what I want to talk to you guys about today is kind of a topic that a lot of people haven't truly accepted yet. I know it's caused a lot of fear and a lot of pharmacy students who are Not very certain where they want to practice, or not very certain where their their first job is going to land them. And that is saturation. Now, I'm not talking about the diet. This isn't about saturated fat. This is pure market saturation. Is the pharmacy market saturated? Is there more pharmacists out there than there are jobs? If you look back, you know, nearly 10 to 20 years ago, there were so many jobs available in pharmacy and so little pharmacists. The shortage was so huge that they were giving away bonuses. I know I have a pharmacist I used to work with who I think back in like the 80s, they were giving away cars. They were giving away you know, $30,000. It was almost like you were a professional athlete getting signed to an NFL contract. Like these, This is how significant these bonuses were. And you go only 15 years into the future and people aren't even getting jobs anymore i there's a there's a huge company called the Kroger company um if you people up north midwest a lot of you may know what this, you know or heard of this company and I think this is the first year that I've heard of where not only did they not hire all their pharmacists they they hardly hired any so I know numerous people in pharmacy school. At these high level, you know, notoriously known pharmacy schools who are out of jobs right now and are still struggling to find them and they graduate in a couple weeks and they haven't found one yet. And some of them might be looking for months. Some of them might be looking for years. Some of them may have to find something outside of the pharmacy field just to get a paycheck without even practicing as a pharmacist. Now, I know this is scary. This is, you know, and this is why I want to bring it up because I want to bring reality to the forefront and I want there to be a plan developed so where if there is a shortage, I want people to be in the best position to where people are wanting to hire that particular person. And if you're listening today, if you're a student, I want you to know it's okay, you don't have to be scared definitely understand that there may be a shortage and work on developing key things, key attributes that will make you indispensable where anybody will want to hire you and start working on those now. Because I promise you, there will be a time that comes when people are going to hire the most valuable pharmacist and it's not just about putting a body in a position anymore. It's not not just about fulfilling that. We're pharmacists, we're healthcare professionals, and right off the back, you make essentially the top 10% income earner in the whole entire nation. It's a huge privilege, and if you're not willing to develop skills that will put you above the competition, just as you were, when you were preparing to apply for pharmacy school, you wanted to load that CV up, you wanted to load that resume up, you were doing voluntarily, you know, you were voluntarily um, committing to services and extracurriculars that made you a better applicant. You wanted to build values and interview well and do these things to put you in the best position to get into pharmacy school. And now you have to do the same thing to not only put yourself in the best position to get hired, but then to excel in your position. And, you know, fortunate for me, I've consciously worked on myself and like what I value and what I think are strengths of a successful pharmacist along these years. And what I wanna do is I wanna share two main two main points with you today that will help you be in the best, the best position to be hired because you'll be the strongest candidate. Not only that, but once you get that position, you'll be able to manage people better, you'll be able to solve problems, and you'll be able to excel in your current role, and maybe even expand to new and better roles. Going back to the data, what I you know really wanna bring up is I I noticed in in a website, it was um this person or this website takes all the pharmacist job data. It takes all the position of pharmacists, it takes all the current pharmacists out there, and they developed this metric called a PDI, which is called the pharmacist demand indicator, and essentially, it's it's numbered from one to five, with five being, there's a huge shortage in pharmacists, where like basically anybody can, can get a job, and one is, there's basically no positions available, there's like, you know, a million pharmacists in one spot, everybody's fighting for it, anything above a three, you know, three, three is like, the the number of positions of pharmacist two pharmacists is about equal so like everybody has a job and what this chart shows is back in quarter of one in 2008 this PDI number was at a 4.1 which means that there was a significant amount of jobs that outnumbered pharmacists so basically nobody was having a problem getting a job so if you move On to roughly 2013, you know, five years later, this number was still at 3.0, 3.2, 3.3, which you know, at a 3.3, basically everybody's still getting a job. Fast forward only three years later in 2016, it's only at a flat 3.0. So people who were graduating in 2016, you may have heard there wasn't a lot of people who were struggling to find jobs because the market was basically meeting the demand. However, if you go to the fourth quarter of 2017 for people who just graduated, the PDI was at a 2.8. And this is why this is what's so shocking to me. As soon as this PDI, this is this metric, this PDI is so accurate. This is the first year that the PDI has jumped below 3.0, and this is the first year that I've heard where a significant amount of you know, pharmacy students just graduating did not get a guaranteed job. And this is like, I heard about this and I was like, holy shit, like, you know, this is serious. Like, there's there's going to be an actual saturation in the market. I know people talked about it. And you know, when you look at the data, going back 10 years ago, there was only 70 something, you know, 75 pharmacy schools producing you know, 7,000 pharmacists a year to now, it seems like five, six pharmacy schools are coming out every single year. We're up into like, you know, 130, 140, 150 school range. And there's just too many pharmacists being produced. Like those are just 100% facts. You know, as long as people are getting paid for these pharmacy schools, they're still going to come around. And unless jobs are created by, you know, a revolution in pharmacy where, you know, different positions are being made, I really truly think there is going to be a shortage and it's not going to be a body filling the position anymore. So this is, you know, this is just the information. These are the facts. This is the reality. And I just want people to be aware about it. If you haven't truly accepted it yet, that's fine. But do not discount the fact that You need to work on strengthening skills that are going to put you in the best position for being hired. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to move on to two really important skills that are almost guaranteed to ensure success, number one, and then keep excelling while you're in that role. So the first one that I want to point out is it is very essential to identify how you are measured on performance and then learn how to exceed expectations. Identifying how you're measured on performance and then learning how to exceed expectations. Let's just face it. Essentially, every single company measures, measures their success and their growth based off of specific metrics. These are the numbers that they care about. This is what they value. It's in their you know, core belief and value system as a business. So with that being said, even if you don't believe in it, you need to accept that and know how to identify that and excel based off of that. So for example, if a particular company's metrics say that you need to give 30 flu shots in a week, you need to provide exceptional service to the point where somebody will get a survey and... For every single question asked, they'll say, they'll give you a five out of five. Then these are the things that, a, you know, a, a company cares about and you need to acknowledge them, accept them, and then adjust your actions based off of this. You know, I, I hear people, I hear pharmacists complain all the time, like, oh, they just changed the metrics to this. I don't really care. So I, I don't care if I hit it. I don't care if I get a one out of 10. or I don't care if I get a one out of five every single month. Well, guess what? With the saturated market... There's so many people fight, fighting for that same spot that you don't care about. Here in the next couple years, I would not be surprised if people got fired for underperforming to give new people, new grads, a chance to come in and fill that spot at a lesser pay. I'm telling you, I, I definitely see this coming. And as scary as it is, I just—if you fail to prepare yourself, then you know you can't you can't be alarmed, you can't be shocked if it happens, especially after hearing this. So identify what these metrics are, and create an action plan on how you are determined to exceed these. And as long as you have the resources, as long as you have a leader who are gonna or who are gonna support you in this, then it shouldn't be a problem to exceed on these expectations. That's number one. Number two, and this is probably the most important. You have. Got to. It is a necessity to develop your ability to solve problems. Not only is this going to be important in your career and in pharmacy, this is going to be important in your life and your relationships and your your development as a person, your development as a profession. This right here, we are in the problem-solving business. We are not in a healthcare business where we're just dispensing drugs. And that's it. We are in the problem-solving business. This deals with the consumer and the patient side, solving their problems. I mean, think about it. Every disease state is a problem, and we're there to provide a solution, whether it be with the medication or information, lifestyle adjustment changes, etc. We are providing a solution to a problem. That's on the patient side. And then on the, the workforce side, there's problems every single day. Technician calls out you know your your boss expects you to do this tomorrow, and you haven't quite figured out how to solve that, or even on the family side, you know you find out a family member gets cancer you 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 find you know your brother you know has a problem in his life and it's he's asking you for help, and it's causing a problem in yours, which rolls over and affects the way you give genuine care to patients or you know provide them with any kind of information that would be beneficial to their health all of these you know it happens that's life life is about solving problems it's not about letting these problems defeat you it's about solving them so what i've done is i developed a series of questions that you can walk through and you know kind of retrospectively look back on on any kind of problem that you've been faced with and ask yourself six questions about how you went through the problem solving process and by the time you get to the sixth question, if the answer is not yes to it, there's definitely, this definitely means that you have room for improvement to improve on your problem solving process. So I just wanna you know, kinda go through these questions with you and then give you some real life examples and then we'll move on to building this skill because it is a skill and it can definitely be built. So when I look at you know any problem that comes up, the first thing I want to ask myself is, what was the problem? And once I identify what the problem was, and if it was a problem, my second, the second question I ask myself is, what was my immediate thought? What was the first thing that was triggered into my mind? And not only You know, two and three kind of go in hand. So number two is what was my immediate thought? And then number three, what was my natural immediate response or reaction? They kind of go hand in hand. So first you're going to have a thought that is generated in your mind, and then you're going to have a natural or immediate response to it. And then number four is what did I personally do to solve the problem? Number five, who was involved in the problem-solving process? And then number six was the problem solved. If you can answer yes to number six, then you did a great job at solving a problem and you have the ability to solve a problem just like that at any time. So let's go through a real life example and I'll go through something that actually you know occurred in my time as a pharmacist where number six, the answer to it is no. And then I'm gonna show you how I used Another set of questions to build upon the skill so that when the next time that this, the same situation comes up, I can say yes to number six. So there was one time where number one, what was the problem? A customer refuses to leave the drive through Number two, what was my immediate thought? I'm going to keep this clean. I was like, what a freaking pain in the butt. Like, you know, I don't know a lot of people think like, how come people don't understand this is a McDonald's? You know, My my, my immediate thought is what a pain in the butt. What was my natural immediate response? I'll be honest, my natural immediate response was to get pissed off and to go to the drive through and say, you have to leave right now or I'm going to call the cops. You have to leave right now or I'm going to call the cops and get them to escort you out. Number four, what did I personally do to solve the problem? What I personally did to solve the problem was I went over to the drive through and I initiated a conversation. Number five, who was involved in the problem-solving process? I was involved in the problem-solving process. The patient was involved, and that was it. And I actually did call the cops, so I guess the, the cop was involved in the problem-solving process at all. Number six, was the problem solved? I would say no. And the reason why I say no to that is because, yes, did they leave my drive-thru? Eventually, but it created another problem. You know, it created a, you know, intense environment in the workplace. It created a long, long wait for people behind them in the drive-thru. It created, you know, a sense of unprofessionalism and people who were picking up Medications at the pickup, you know, it, it created a lot more problems. So I don't think this problem was solved, you know, very efficiently. So if I go back and I, I answer all these questions and I'm like, man, I really didn't do a good job this time, I go through another set of questions into how I can develop my problem solving skills. With number one being, one, can I identify why the problem wasn't solved? Two, if so, what was the reason? Three, did I have the resources available to solve the problem? Four, what could, a, what could I have done or said different? Five, how could, a, how could have, I have involved other people to aid in solving the problem? Six, if this same problem occurs tomorrow, what would I do differently? And seven, am I ready to solve this problem moving forward? So if we go back to my previous example, I would say, one, can I identify why the problem wasn't solved? And I would say yes, because I didn't first seek to listen to the customer and see why it was that they weren't, you know, wanting to move from the drive-thru. And if I would have listened, you know, eventually I realized it was just because they had been waiting in line already for 20 minutes. It was a busy time. There was a ton of cars, and all they needed was a Z-Pack. They felt like crap, and they just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, maybe they were a little impatient because they, you know, they were sick, and maybe I wasn't understanding that at the time. But they just wanted to get a Z-Pack and get out. It would have been like a no copay Z-Pack, could have taken you know less than two minutes to fill, and I would have had, I could have avoided calling the cops, you know, waiting five minutes for them to get there, and then causing a numerous amount of other problems in the environment. Number two, so can I identify why the problem wasn't solved? Yes, I didn't listen to the customer see why it was that they weren't moving. And then number two, if so, what was the reason? So that, you know, number one and number two go together. And number three, did I have the resources available to solve the problem? Yeah, because the only resource I needed was myself and my voice and my ears to listen. You know, I didn't use my ears. I'll use more of my mouth and my emotions. Number four, what could have I done or said different? I could have, you know, asked what the problem was for the patient and just listened, and have understood that all they wanted was to get the Z pack, and it would have been more efficient to, you know, kind of swallow my pride, get it done, and get them out, and it would have been a win-win situation for everybody. Number five, how could have I have involved other people to aid in solving the problem? I could have had technicians start typing in and filling the prescription as I was talking to the customer and getting more information. And by the time I was done, you know, seeing what the problem was, I could have proceeded to go over, verify it, and then ring the customer out, have have a technician ring the customer out. And then number six, if this same problem occurs tomorrow, what would I do differently? I will listen to the customer, see why it is that they're not leaving. You know, if it's something reasonable that I can get done very quickly, then it would make sense to you know solve the problem in that way. You know, if it's something unreasonable where they're dropping off 10 medications and they have a compound and they're just being stubborn and they don't want to move, you know, I would then proceed to maybe uh, or at least try to explain how the process, through typing everything in, filling the prescriptions, et cetera, is going to take you know roughly at least fifteen minutes that they would be you know willing to move. So like we can help the, the customers behind them. I'll get it ready in fifteen minutes. And if they're still being stubborn at that point, yeah, it would be appropriate to call the cops. But in this specific example that I that I mentioned, you know, it as frustrating as it still could be, I you could have probably filled the medication. That's just a a Z pack. You put the label on there, then get them out. So if this same problem occurs tomorrow, what I do differently? And then am I, number seven, am I ready to solve this problem moving forward? I would say yes. So I go through that and then it's kind of like you're analyzing what you did in the situation and you're building by actively asking yourself these questions, you're subconsciously building this muscle and this skill to solve these problems. So when the same problem occurs, you're going to be ready to solve it. So if by number seven, you're, your answer to number seven is yes. Am I ready to solve this problem moving forward? Yes. You are, I'm telling you, one step and a huge step towards becoming indispensable. Because when you can go to whoever's trying to hire somebody, when you can go to that manager, when you can go to that boss, and you can say, Hey, I'm going to be your best guy because my ability to, to identify and solve problems is so great that I can use my resources to the best of my ability. I can use myself, I can use the skills that I've worked on consciously in the past couple years, and I can solve almost any problem with as little time as possible. And what this is gonna do is it's gonna free up any kind of conflict in the workplace environment. This is gonna greatly enhance my ability to give my patients the best care that they need, and I'm gonna do it you know, with ease and efficiency. And when a, a manager or an interviewer can hear that, they're gonna be like, man. Like I need this guy on my team like I, I gotta have him because as a manager, you know manager's in the same role he's in the, the problem solving role and when he can connect on that standpoint that you're there to solve problems and give your best effort into ex, you know exceeding on these metrics that these companies want to hear, I'm telling you right now you are a freaking needle in the heat in the haystack because not many people have developed this. And that's why if you start now, by the time that you graduate or by the time that you're ready to take on a new role, you will be that much better. You're going to be so sought after that you're going to create, you know, a a role of abundance. You're going to create leverage to where you have the opportunity to choose where you want to go. And it's going to be very, very, very beneficial for your career. So work on your ability to solve problems. And work on identifying what people are you know, measuring your performance on. Because if you know what you're being measured on. And you develop a plan on how to meet or exceed those expectations. While also putting in the ability to solve any problem that comes your way. I'm telling you right now. you, know, take, you know, take, take away the whole clinical stamp, standpoint of what you know what you can provide to patients. But those two pieces alone are probably more valuable than your degree and just having a degree. Because when you go into an interview, you're not defined by your GPA. You're not defined entirely by where you graduated. You're not defined entirely by, you know, where you did a residency. An employer, an employer wants to know, can you do what we ask? Can you exceed and can you solve problems? And can you do it ethically? Can you do it consistently? And can you do it, you know, or be willing to learn this skill? And if you can do it, I'm telling you what, even if there is a saturated market, even if there is 13 people fighting for one spot, if you have those two things down, it's going to be hard to say no to you or at least, you know, put you in that pool of maybe those two or three people who move on to the second round of interviews or, you know, whose, whose resumes don't get thrown away. So those are two main things that I hope you guys can continue to work on. If you have any questions on them or specifically how, you know, I throughout the years I consciously work towards achieving these skills, um, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, at rphscott. Shoot me a DM. I'm more than happy to, like, go over. I you know maybe we'll do a little phone call. Maybe we'll do, like, a little, um, you know, just, just anything. I'm, I'm entirely down for whatever. And, you know, thanks. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this first episode. I hope I can continue to put out great content out there that will help you excel in your role. Help, you know, the future of the profession of pharmacy excel in ways that puts us on the map and allows us to do great things. And show to people that pharmacists are more than just pill counters or pill dispensers. You know, this is my, my vision, my passion. I think when we all come together, we can do it. And again, thanks for listening. And until, tune in next time. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed what you just listened to. Make sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms and however you're listening, whether it be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or something else we didn't just mention, we'd appreciate you to subscribe, leave us a rating, and even drop us a comment and let us know what you think. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.